Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Bruce Tulgan. He's got a great new book out called The Art of Being Indispensable at Work. Win influence, beat over commitment, and get the right things done. And that's exactly what we talk about in this conversation. We start off with talking about what does being indispensable at work actually mean? How to not overcommit yourself as you are still doing things for others and for yourself in your workplace, knowing when to say no or not yet, but also how to say yes. And overall, just getting better at working together with your team, with your peers, and becoming, again, indispensable in your position or role in your workplace. There's some real key stuff here in this conversation with Bruce Tulgan. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Bruce Tulgan. Bruce, welcome. Thank you so much for including me. You've got a brand new book out called The Art of Being Indispensable at Work. This concept of being indispensable, it's not necessarily new, but I think you're coming at it from a new perspective. Uh, You've written many books. What does being indispensable at work mean? And what led you to this from your experience with everything you've written so far? Well, I think right now, especially so many people are wondering if they are dispensable after all. And I think uh, in this environment where it feels like there's no job security, people want to be indispensable. Everyone wants to be that indispensable go-to person. And one of the things I've done for the last 27 years in our research is I ask people everywhere I go, hey, who are your go-to people? You know, and, and I look for who are the go-to people who stand the test of time. So, you know, indispensable is sort of in the eye of the beholder, yeah. right? Uh, so indispensable to whom? <laughs> uh, I find that, uh, you know, when lots of people in the workplace depend on you, rely on you, want to go to you, when lots of people in the workplace, you know, they want to work with you. They know that if you say you're going to deliver, you're going to deliver. Uh, they know that if you say, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this, then maybe we shouldn't do this. That's what I'm trying to help people uh, figure out in the book is, you know, what is it those people have in common? Um, now, what led me to it uh, is a much longer story. But what's really in the book is, you know, everyone's wondering, well, what does it mean to be indispensable? Does that mean like you're the technical expert? Uh, does it mean that you're the one who works the longest and the hardest? Does it mean that you're the one with the best attitude? You know, and what I find found in our research is yes to all three of those questions. 
But that's just table stakes. That's just the beginning of what makes somebody indispensable. I am a little bit curious, though, like what were some of the key indicators that kind of in your other past work and the different things that you've written that kind of cued you in on this being a key piece, especially now in the workplace? Well, what really led to it is that everywhere I went, people were saying to me, gosh, I have to deal with more and more people. Everybody at work now is my customer. And uh, I have to rely on all of these people. Also, I'm their customer. So I'm getting requests. I'm inundated by requests, not just from my boss and from my own team, but sometimes from people all over the organization, sometimes people I don't even know. And they're relying on me. And uh, sometimes they're things that are right in my wheelhouse. Sometimes they're not. Um, and meanwhile, I find myself having to get what I need from people all over the organization, sometimes people who don't know me, and, and, and often people I can't hold accountable. So what I found was that navigating this increasingly demanding workplace where you have to deal with more and more people, where everybody's relying on each other, everybody is each other's customer, and with so many factors outside your control uh, that uh, of course, collaboration is great. Uh, working with people across departments and functions is great. There are huge business advantages to that. But what I found was it's also driving everybody crazy. And so that, that was what I first set out to investigate. Um, and, you know, I would say to people, well, what do you do? Oh, well, if you don't have authority, then you have to use influence. But then when I would test that out on people, they'd say, yeah, what the heck does that even mean? So it was trying to untangle this puzzle uh, of collaboration. And, you know, what I found was people want to be indispensable. And as a result of that, uh, they think, well, then I've just got to work harder than anyone else. I've got to say yes to everyone and everything. And by trying to be indispensable, uh, they found themselves terribly overcommitted. And if you're terribly overcommitted, of course, you, you can't even be reliable. So, this was the puzzle I was trying to solve uh, when I set out to consider writing a book. By the way, the, I forgot to mention the subtitle of the book is Win Influence, Beat Overcommitment, and Get the Right Things Done. And I think part of what you've just been talking about is that overcommitment and that getting the right things done in terms of people feeling like, well, to be indispensable or to kind of, to you know, to secure my position, whatever position that is, is kind of the way people would think about that. I've got to make sure that anything anybody ever asks me to do and then some, like I've got to go looking for extra things to do just to make sure that everybody not only knows I do good work, but sees me doing it so that I'm indispensable. But what you're saying is, is actually that is the wrong way to go about it is to be a master, you know, attempting to be a master. In other words, attempting to be a master at all those different things means you're mastering none of them or maybe just a couple of them, but instead pair back and be truly effective and truly masterful at the few things and being that go-to person like you were referring to. Yeah. I mean, basically, you got to play the longer game. You know, if you play the short game of making somebody happy by saying yes, you too often find yourself over promising 
uh, promising things you can't deliver uh, or maybe promising things you shouldn't deliver, you know? And uh, so by trying to be everything to everyone, you end up being uh, never anybody's go-to person uh, or at least not for very long. You have to play the long game of reputation. You have to play the long game of being reliable, of say what you mean, mean what you say. Um, if you make promises, people can take them to the bank. And if you say no or not yet, people trust that because they know you have a track record of being aligned with the leadership and the mission and the priorities and the marching orders. And you have a track record of making good decisions and you have a track record of delivering and you have a track record of being great to work with. So, you know, you got to play the long game. Sounds like this is a matter then of knowing when to say no and when to say yes. What's the secret to that? Yeah, you got to know when to say no and how to say yes. Sometimes people say, well, you have to learn how to say no uh, and when to say yes. yes. And I think that's backwards, you know, because how to say no, the idea is like, well, maybe if you could sugarcoat it, people will like it, you know, <laughs> and nobody wants to hear no. Uh, you could sugarcoat it all you want. Of course, you should be polite. But sugarcoating no, it's still no. What I've learned in our research is that yes is where all the action is. Yes is your chance to add value. Yes is your chance to collaborate. Yes is your chance to, to, to deliver tangible results. Uh, so yes is where all the action is. What that means is you better not waste your yeses. Your yeses are golden. Every good no makes room for a better yes. So the trick is having people trust your no's and your not yet. And again, that's a little bit of a longer game because in retrospect, if you have a reputation for delivering, if you have a reputation uh, for making good decisions, if you have a reputation for doing good work, being good to work with, uh, then people are much more likely to respect your no or not yet. If you say no or not yet, they might stop and think, gee, maybe we shouldn't do this uh, or, uh, you know, because you've got that reputation. So that's the longer game part of it. But in terms of a day to day practice, uh, uh, what we've learned is the key is tuning into the ask, tuning into the request. When somebody makes an ask of you, tune in, ask the ask questions, fine tune the ask. So often asks are sloppy. And so when you tune into somebody's request and ask them more questions, help them fine tune their request, really try to understand what they need and where that fits with your ability to deliver and also with your network of other people who might be able to deliver for them. When you do that, you're respecting their need. You're giving them an experience. Uh, you're not blowing smoke. Uh, you're, you're being authentic. You're, 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 you're trying to understand what they need, and that makes them feel like their need is respected. So then uh, once you really understand their need, you also have a much better sense. You might find out what sounded like a big ask is really a small ask. Uh, you might find out what sounded like a small ask is really a much bigger ask. Uh, you might find out, oh, that is something I can do. 
or you might find out that, oh, that's really not something anyone should do. Uh, so tune into the ask. Spend more time on the ask. Uh, I always tell people, learn to take an intake memo. When somebody, even if somebody stops you in the hallway, stop and take notes. Show them you're respecting their needs. And then, so when do you say no? If, if you can't do it, because if you say yes, then you'll be overpromising and you won't deliver. Uh, if, if you, if you're not allowed to do it, you better say no. Uh, if, if you think on balance, you shouldn't do it or you shouldn't do it yet, uh, then you have a conversation about that. Um, that's, uh, that's, and see, then saying no, you, you will turn out to have been correct. Uh, and that's going to help you build your reputation. And all you're doing when you say no is making room for a better yes, because yes is where all the action is. This also feels like it goes hand in hand with what you say about uh, independent, indispensable people are people that finish what they start. And by identifying um, when to say no or how to say yes, that they're much more likely to be able to finish what they start because one, they're not overcommitted. Or two, they're working in their wheelhouse because they've done the ask correctly. They've figured out that request. Uh, they've gone through that process you just laid out for us. That's absolutely right. Because so often people take on so much. And in taking on so much, they render themselves overcommitted. They find themselves juggling. If you're always juggling, what happens? Right? You're going to drop the ball. And, um, and if you're juggling and you drop a ball, it's not like you decide which ball to drop. You drop a ball you didn't intend to drop. Sometimes you try to catch it and then all the balls get dropped. So, uh, even, no matter how much you have on your to-do list, uh, you have to execute one thing at a time. Uh, and that's why I say my beyond the to-do list thing is, uh, don't just have a to-do list, also have a do list. This is what I'm going to do today. What do you say is the the difference between those two, I guess, those two lists? Well, the to-do list is your running list. Mm -hmm. The do list is each day, uh, choose some things you are going to do. So everyone has a busy schedule. Everyone has a long to-do list, right? Here's here's the trick. The, the, The magic happens in the gaps in your schedule. Find gaps in your schedule uh, block those for focused execution time and then make your do list in those chunks of time. What are you going to do? Uh, so how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time in that gap? How many bites of the elephant can you, you take a bite, you have mm. to chew it, you have to swallow it and then take another bite. I like that. How many bites of the elephant can you fit into that one, that time block, that scheduled focus Ex- time block? Exactly. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent 
fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch-your-own-shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety in your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another aspect that I that I think probably plays hand in hand with the no's and the yeses and the finishing what you start is the ability to uh, work smart. I'm all about that. That's, you know, I, I'm all about when, when I discovered or was taught in, you know, elementary school at some point, the whole idea behind the fulcrum and the lever, you know, where you move the lever and you push less, but get more output. I was like, well, that's the way to go. Duh. And so I've that's always a been wonderful. That's a yeah. wonderful metaphor too. So I, I wonder what, how do these go-to people identify, um, you know, their strengths, their, what they do best, in other words, so that they can work smarter and be known for specific things. Yeah. I mean, cause you want to know, you, you have to know what you want to be known for, but I'll tell you where I sort of differ from some of the conventional wisdom about this. Um, that what some people will tell you, well, you have to work in your area of passion and strength. And I often say, well, gosh, who's going to do all the work? So, of course, it's best if you can work in your area of passion and strength. But what I always tell people is often you're going to have lots of aspects of your job that you have to do over and over and over again that might not be areas of your natural strength, your natural ability, and they may not be things about which you're passionate. It's okay. What that means is if you have to do it a lot, you better get really good at it. Uh, so don't figure it out on your own. Study proven best practices. Uh, find repeatable solutions. Use job aids. So whatever you have to do over and over again, professionalize. Make it one of your specialties. And then once you're good at it, 
then you'll be able to do it much better, much faster, uh, with a better attitude. You'll feel better about it. You'll enjoy it more. And anytime you have to add a specialty to your repertoire, uh, learn in plain sight, uh, identify proven best practices, identify repeatable solutions that have already been developed, find job aids. If there are no job aids, build job aids for yourself, uh, professionalize everything you do, make it one of your specialties. That's the key to working smart. One of the other aspects I think that uh, you've, we've touched on slightly when it comes to when people come to you and and lots of people and more and more people are coming to us with these requests, uh, not to mention looking for looking out ahead to see what other people may need. And I'm, I don't want to disqualify that part. In fact, I think that's still something very key. I'm curious what your thoughts are um, looking for opportunities when it comes to what other people are involved with that fit with what you want to be known for and are in your wheelhouse that are in your skill set that are that are part of what you do best i mean i know that <laughs> that can be a slippery slope of well i'm always looking out for what other people are doing but i think that's also it's almost like proactively seeking out the requests uh ahead of when they get brought to you i don't know what are your thoughts on that yeah, that's a super smart strategy. Um, and I, I, I love that. Um, and I, I guess, um, in, in, in my book, I call that not just being a go-to person, but finding go-to people wherever you need them mm. and building up new go-to people. But I think what you're saying is, um, uh, you're, you're, you're trying to look at, look for great customers in advance, right? Yes. Cultivate great customers in advance. Um, and and in a way, you're trying to fill up your dance card with the stuff that you're good at. Uh, you're looking for great customers in your areas of specialty. Uh, and uh, I think that's a, that's a brilliant strategy. What about, uh, again, that kind of walks us closer to, it's not all about just being you and you being ind indispensable. And in fact, you even, even kind of said it with finding other go-to people. Um Let's talk a little bit about the relationships that an indispensable person has in their workplace. Yeah. So people, um, anyone will tell you uh, relationships are where it's at. People are your most valuable asset, right? All that stuff. Uh, but then what do they mean by that? Some people mean making best friends at work. Our data is very mixed on the value of best friends at work, but that's a, that's a complex, uh, story, uh, to tell. Uh, some people mean politics, you know, uh, uh making, um, alliances with big shots or proving yourself to some of the big shots, uh, maybe even undermining some of your rivals. Uh, some people, uh, what they mean is just building personal rapport with people. So maybe not making best friends, um, but, uh, having lots of, uh, 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 personal rapport building interactions. Um, what, what our research shows is the key to relationships at work is the work. When the work goes wrong, the relationships get damaged. And when the work gets better and better, the relationships get better and better. Uh, what you have in common at work is the work. And uh, so our advice is uh, build relationships first and foremost by adding value. 
Don't focus on what you need from other people. Focus on what they need from you. And that, that lines right up with your, you know, uh, uh, looking proactively for good customers in your area of specialty. Um, but think about what you bring to the table. What can you do in any interaction? How can you add value? Uh, what do you need to learn so you can add value? Uh, what do you need to share so you can add value? Uh, uh, Add value. Uh, that should be your focus in relationship building. And then uh, whenever you do work with somebody, if you're going to plan, right? Remember, yes is where all the action is. you got to set up every yes for success. And that means every yes deserves a plan and focused execution. And then the third piece is what happens on the other side of any uh, work that you do together, task, responsibility, or project that you do with anyone else at work, you have to have an after-action process. Uh, in the military, they call it an after-action review. Our after-action process that we recommend is three parts. Uh, number one, uh, make a spectacular over-the-top thank you, one of your signatures. Uh, be grateful and show gratitude uh, when, when people uh, help you succeed and when you're able to help them succeed. Uh, be grateful and show gratitude. Uh, so don't just send a thank you note, but CC that person's boss and that person's boss's boss. And then all of a sudden your thank you note turns into a written commendation. Uh, number two, uh, uh, look at what went right, but also what went wrong. And don't blame, don't finger point, don't undermine. Rather say, hey, uh, these are opportunities for us to work better together next time. And number three, look around the corner to the next chance to collaborate with that person uh, and try to plan based on what you've learned. Uh, try to plan the next collaboration so it goes better. I love this. Um I think then the next step is, is that uh, promoting this indispensableness or go to ism, uh, which is which almost to some people would seem antithetical. It's like, no, why would I want to point out that other people are the go to person for things when that makes thinking that that makes them more dispensable? But in fact, sometimes and or often having that referral uh, let's say referralness. I don't know if that's really a word or not, <laughs> but, but being that referral guy, the, in other words, me being connected makes me indispensable when I always know who that, if I'm not the guy, I know who the guy is. Yeah, exactly. In the book, I, I borrow a phrase from a, a longtime friend and client, uh, know who's who in the zoo. <laughs> you got to know who's who in the zoo. Know, know where the snakes live, know where the teddy bears live. Uh, know where uh, the, the, you know, you got to know where all the different uh, characters are and uh, what they do. And, uh, and, and also not just knowing who's who, but having relationships with them where you've made yourself valuable to them. And one of the great things about real influence and real, in, my influence lives in your brain and your heart, right? Your influence lives in my brain and my heart. That's what's weird about real influence. Right. Real influence is what other people think of you. So giving other people an opportunity to be valuable, 
that is that is that's something you could if you give me a chance to be valuable uh you've you've made yourself valuable to me and and it's an upward spiral you've made yourself valuable to me by giving me a chance to add value for someone else um and that's how you keep building your influence one of the great things about real influence is you can lend it you can give it away and the more you lend your influence and give your influence away the more influence you have I was going to say, this is really a practical working out of what you were just referring to, which is, well, with literally the referrals of, say, somebody comes to me and I'm not the guy, but I know who the, I know who the person is. Well, that person is going to potentially say, Oh, well, who sent you? And they'll tell them that you were the one who sent them. And then they'll keep you in mind for that for next time. And they'll remember, um, you know, all, I mean, in other words, you're, 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 you're laying all these different favors in, in a sense, <laughs> you know? Um, well, I'll tell you something. I think that's exactly right. Uh, and uh, we, we are like minds. So I, I, I'm really curious. Um, is there any like what, what would be maybe a starting point here? I mean, we've talked about a lot of different pieces here to this. What's, you know, if somebody's just getting started. They say, you know what? This is something that I've kind of neglected to do in my workplace or in my career. What are some first steps that you would say need to be the, the first steps if somebody's getting started towards being indispensable? Well, the first thing you've got to do is um, figure out exactly what is your role, exactly what are the tasks, responsibilities, and projects uh, that are that are in your uh, expectations. So you've got to align with your boss. Uh, the, 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 the first person you have to manage every day is yourself. The second person you have to manage every day is your boss. And the third person you have to manage every day is anyone else uh, you have to deal with up, down, sideways or diagonal. Uh, but but you, you got to manage yourself, of course. So self-mastery is critical. Take good care of yourself. Get up early. Uh, get enough rest um, uh, and, and um, show up with no matter how you're feeling on the inside, show up. Uh, with a great attitude on the outside, and then align, align, align. Uh, make sure you know exactly what your boss's uh, priorities are, what your boss's ground rules are, what your boss's uh, marching orders are, not just for this month, not just for this week, but for today. Once you have total clarity about that, uh, then start looking sideways for who you're going to start building networks of. And, and, and I, I love your point of go, go find customers for the things that you are already good at or for the, the things you think you can add value. Uh, if you're proactive about finding customers, you know, what you're really doing is filling up your dance card doing the stuff that you're already good at doing uh, and then uh, figure out uh, who are going to be your go-to people uh, upon whom you can rely. And by the way, uh, the, the, the best place to start for your own go-to people is who are your best customers. I love it. There's so much more that we could jump into and, and, go all over the place with, but what's in the book is amazing. And it's, it's a timely book, especially now. And so, uh, I, it came out today. If I'm not mistaken, it's at, at the time of this recording, it is out as of now, 
I would love to direct people to where maybe they can get more information on it. That's not just like, you know, Amazon or other, you know, booksellers, but anywhere on your site, your site specifically where people can find out more. Uh, as you say, it's 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 unusually timely because people are feeling uh, like there's a lot of uncertainty. So uh, this is a, a way to gain some some uh, control. And um, yes, wherever books are sold, but also RainmakerThinking.com is our website. Uh, that's probably the best place to go. You can sign up for our news feed. It's totally free, completely free. You can't pay for it. It's completely free. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at Bruce Tulgan. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, uh, Harvard Business Review Press, my publisher would say, wherever books are sold. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll link up to all of that in the show notes. And Bruce, thank you so much for, uh, sharing with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for uh, what a privilege uh, to be on your podcast. Well, that's another podcast episode crossed off your podcast listening to do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Bruce Tulgan and got some tips on how to become more indispensable at work. If you found this episode enjoyable and know somebody else who needs to hear it, would you do me the favor of sharing this episode with them? You can do that by going to the show notes over at beyond the to do list.com and sharing it there or hitting the share button in your podcast player app of choice where you're listening to this right now. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks again for listening. And I'll see you next episode.